And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Was the Australian Grand Prix the day when Fabio Quartararo lost the 2022 MotoGP World Championship? An absolutely incredible Phillip Island race ended with the first change at the top of the championship standing since April and Ducati looking much, much closer to finally ending its title drought. I'm Matt Beer, standing in on the, the Race Motor GP podcast with Toby Moody again. But Toby, I really hope whatever you're doing, wherever you're busy this weekend, that you're watching that and shouting at the screen because that was the best Motor GP race in a very long time and so, so dramatic. Joining me to talk about everything that we that we witnessed are Simon Patterson and Valentin Hurunchi. And we'll go straight in and say, you know, is this the day that Cotteraro lost? Is there any way back f- for him and his title bid from here? Val, go for it. No, I think I think Saturday was the day Fabio lost. I think Saturday was the day we saw that even here the Yamaha does not have it, does not have what it takes to to take on the Ducatis. And even if Fabio stayed on the bike throughout that race and didn't you know didn't make the initial mistake and then didn't crash out, all right, so he would have finished like maybe two three places behind Banyaya, and that's at a track that Yamaha specifically earmarked as the track where it's supposed to do whatever damage it can and increase the the championship lead. So yeah, I think maybe not even Saturday. I think he lost it long before or just gradually lost it, obviously, because it's never all about one day. So, you know, one day is just 25 points max. But but I do think he's lost it, yeah. At least, you know, that much I can say. I don't I don't really see a way back. And I think I expect Sepang to to be the end. I think I expect Panyaya to get the points he needs in Sepang and make Valencia just a, a final race with that with the title already decided. Uh so I I don't think Fabio has lost the championship. I think Yamaha have lost the championship for him long ago because we came to like you said Val, we came to the circuit where they had to do maximum damage to take back the difference and the bike just wasn't good enough. Um and you watch Cordero. I I know that there's been question marks about you know his how headstrong he is based on the way that his 2020 season ended. But I think he put that to rest at the end of 2021. And what we're seeing right now isn't someone who's under pressure making mistakes. We're seeing someone who's just overriding a bike that's bad. Um, and you know the 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 bike never looked good enough in the hands of anyone else for a top 10 this weekend, even close. Um, and that's with Cal Crutchlow on board, who is a Phillip Island specialist, a race winner here, one of the few people that has won here. Um, and he just, yeah, no, no one looked close because that huge advantage that they used to have in corner speed just isn't good enough anymore now that the Ducati is also really good at corner speed. And I think maybe we're, we're going to go to Sepang and we're not going to see a title decider in Sepang. I think it'll drag on to Valencia um, just because Quattro will be able to pick up enough points now that there's no pressure and no real, you know, it just doesn't really matter what happens to him because I think the title is all but decided. But, you know, I was speaking to people in the paddock tonight who were legitimately talking about what if the top eight at Sepang or eight Ducatis. Because that's how strong they're going to be there, and it's not an unrealistic thing. That's the you know that's the nature of of just how good that bike is at the minute. Um, and obviously they've got an excellent bike and a, a really really good rider on top of it in the form of Pekka Bagnaya. And no, to to see I think six Ducatis in the top ten at Phillip Island, a circuit where a few years ago uh, I remember Andrea Davizioso essentially conceding a title fight because he barely scored points here, and that was the best Ducati on the day. You know they've they've just turned around that machine in the three years since the last time we've been here, and it was reflected in today's results. Yeah, it was uh, P three, P four, P five, P six, P seven, P eight. All of those were Ducatis today, yeah, and. 
mean, one of them could have fairly easily won, I think. It, you know, there's yeah. talk that they maybe went a little too conservative relative to what Suzuki had. And obviously, Marquez did his amazing soft tire punt. Yeah, it's just that sort of the thing. It, it, it doesn't really even matter to me so much why Quartararo buckled, whether it's, you know, whether it's similar or different to 2020 doesn't doesn't bother me too much. I don't really care about that because it's not like I'm not sure it's a weakness in the armor because it's I understand the logic behind it. Like there were there were two bad mistakes, but if he doesn't make him, he finishes P6 or whatever, and he still loses the championship. I think so. It's maybe he miscalculated. How obviously he miscalculated because he ended up off the track and then he ended up off his bike. But like that was, he's been put in a position where he has to put it absolutely all on the line to have any chance. And he did, and it bit him and it's probably over. As, as you know, as Jorge put it, Jorge Lorenzo put it, speaking to, to Simon on Saturday, I believe, said, yeah, he said it's the weakest Yamaha in 15 years versus the, the best Ducati ever. Um, and you know, the gap between them isn't like humongous. But in MotoGP terms, it might as well be. So, yeah. The the strength of the Ducati was just perfectly encapsulated tonight. Uh, someone asked Alicia Spagaro about it in his media scrum afterwards. And uh, Alicia is normally someone that never struggles to find anything to say. And he just looked at them and went, it's ridiculous, man. And just had nothing else to add. You know, they're just overwhelmed by the might of these like eight fast bikes. Um. And and then when you've got a rider as talented as Bagnaya combined with that, and and a rider like Bagnaya who has seemingly got rid of the quirks and maybe foibles and chinks in his armor that he had last year, um, and and has turned himself into this you know, super competitive, super consistent guy, Quattro and Espargaro just don't stand a chance, do they? Do you think there's a there's still a bit of a chink of light for Quattro because Bagnaya didn't actually win this race? Because if it if he'd carried that lead from the final lap through to the chequered flag, that would have been 23 points ahead going to Sepang, and suddenly that becomes a super easy coronation, just you know, 14th place from the last two rounds, and, and it's job done. You know, needing having a 14 point lead with 50 still on the table, that um, that leaves him a little bit more vulnerable to you know being randomly taken out. Although he'll be probably surrounded by enough Ducatis in, in like a human shield that wouldn't be a worry. But it's, you know, certainly going to that final lap, I was like, okay, this is absolutely done. And then after he got out muscled by Rins and Marquez, it seemed a little bit more open. It's not completely over, but look, I, even if Banyai crashes out of the two final races, I'm genuinely not sure Cartaro will combine for 14 points in those two races. It's not, it's not happening. What's his recent record? Oh yeah, eight points from four races yeah. is a lot. Is his recent score? So yeah, no, it's it's not. Happened. When you said that, I thought that's yeah. nonsense. But actually, no, the stats totally back it up. I mean, there'll be there'll be six Ducatis in the top six. So enjoy your scraps. Um, the same is happening for Aleish. Aleish is mass- mathematically in it, but I don't I don't see him scoring enough points by himself without even needing the gifts from Banyaya. Um, anything could happen. Like uh, could. Yeah, it could be some insane flag to flag that somebody wins with slicks on a wet track or whatever. We never know. Um, could be that, you know, somebody hurts their ankle and doesn't race. I hope not, obviously. I really hope not. And I don't I don't really even want too much craziness, to be honest. Uh, you know, Ducati and Bunya have done it. They've been really good. This, this has been a, a really, really impressive race from, from Banyaya, who... To be fair, I, I expect it to be pretty good here based on the fact that the last time he was here, Ricky season 2019, the last time everybody was here, but it was his, his first time here and he had his by far the best race of that season. That season when it was unimaginable that Pekka Banyaya would so soon be the best Ducati rider and one of the best riders on the grid. Um, rode a really good race and he he deserved it. He's the quickest, you know, this is the quickest combination of rider and bike out there. And it's... You know, yeah, he's you know he's probably still got an error or two in him, but who doesn't? And in it, regarding not taking the maximum points from from Phillip Island and not uh, really pushing Alex Rins and Mark Marquez for the win, you know, he he essentially conceded afterwards that with a few laps to go, he gave up 
that he knew he was he once he saw where uh the quarter arrow had crashed which came up as a dash message once he realized that espagaro was going backwards he he cruised home to third um you know he he fought with the other two for a while he realized that maybe they had a little bit of a little bit stronger than him for various reasons then he dropped back to third and then suddenly there was a a tailgate ducati vr46 pair behind him to protect him and uh, why take any risks at that point take the save 16 points lead the championship for the first time this year and uh you know sort of know that you've got those two circuits coming up where they're going to dominate at at Sepang at least maybe not at Valencia and Valencia was one two three last year so why not absolutely could be. yeah I know, yeah I know um he's he's so tough to pass Banyaya we saw it again today and even if yeah obviously the other Ducati riders are in, are in a position where they can't properly go for it against them because they risk basically setting their contracts on fire but he also like that's the only kind of move he makes available he's not like all over the place he doesn't botch corners he doesn't do anything miller sent it twice on him at the start of the race really properly did at turn 10 banyaya crossed him over once and then the second time he just picked him picked him off at turn one next lap without without much trouble just he's a really really good defensive rider he's you know when he does make mistakes they are catastrophic but when he doesn't, you don't pass him. Obviously, Rins and Marquez did, but they were in, probably in a bit of a different league today. And even still, he ended up so close to them at the finish. I mean, let, let's not forget that this is the guy who absolutely schooled Mark Marquez in defensive riding at Mark Marquez's home circuit, where he's almost unbeaten last year in Aragon. He knows how to ride a defensive line and, and how to be safe on track whenever he needs to be. That is a weird thing about Banyard, though, isn't it? Because like you say, when the mistakes happen, they're absolutely horrendous normally. But I, I was thinking for a moment, you know, this is the first time he's ever been in the, in the championship leading MotoGP. Last two years, he's always been chasing from massively far behind. Is that going to be a, you know, a different psychological situation for him? Will that have an impact at Sepang? And I thought, actually, when this guy is managing a race lead, he's absolutely impeccable. So there's no reason not to expect the same in terms of managing a championship lead. But on the flip side, he does have these very, he has very weird days when he does crash out. I, I think it'll be okay because of the circuits that we're at. I think uh, that might be an issue if we were coming into Phillip Island and he'd just taken the lead and he had to manage that against Quadraro, who rightly or wrongly, you know, he perceived to be really strong. But he's going to Sepang with the whole world telling him that Sepang is a circuit where he's going to dominate. Um, I, I think. The only circumstance we could maybe see where that got flipped upside down was uh, if we were to race in Sepang in the wet, because I'm not sure that he's still got the wet confidence he needs. Yeah. Um, but in the dry at that circuit, with those two long straights that were basically designed for ride height devices, it's hard to see him, you know, cracking. It's you know, it, even the wet thing won't matter. Like, yeah, he, I don't expect him to do super well on the wet, but none of his championship rivals will either. The among the championship rivals, the wet specialist got eliminated today. So, I don't look. There's probably a way for him to lose it. I just, you know, it's not a lot of percentage points of likelihood. One thing that was a bit different today to Quartararo's last disaster two weeks ago was he went into complete media shutdown after finishing outside the points in Thailand. Whereas today he you know, as far as I could see, fulfilled all his commitments and, and was fairly calm about everything. So what, what was Quartararo's mood actually like after this today? Yeah, no, he um he came into the media centre, so all the guys come to the media centre now to do their media debriefs. And uh, when he turned up, there was a bit of a backlog of, of other writers. Uh, Jack Miller was speaking, but Cal Crutchlow was waiting to speak and Remy Gardner had just finished speaking. And the, the three of them kind of ended up in a little huddle at the corner laughing and joking. Um, it, it wasn't the Quadraro from last week who was furiously angry about uh, the result of the race. And I think the difference was that today he knew that the mistakes were his own. Um, in Thailand, the more that we've kind of dug into it or kind of gotten a bit of an understanding of it, they went the wrong way with tyre pressures, um, which is always a gamble with the current Michelin because you essentially have to predict whether you're going to have a race, a race where you're on your own or a race where you're in a group from before the race starts. Um, and I think that they went a bit high with the starting pressure, assuming that Quadraro will be out on his own. 
he was in a group, the front pressure went through the roof, he couldn't ride, and he eventually finished outside the points. Today, um, you know, that was a crew chief decision. Today wasn't a crew chief decision. It was a Quattararo decision, essentially, to fall off. And um, that that actually, conversely, I think makes it a bit easier for him. Um, he wasn't happy, as you can imagine, but he wasn't upset. He wasn't angry. And it almost, in some ways, felt like he was a little bit relieved of the pressure, knowing that he has nothing to do now in the next two races, but but put, go all in, you know, push all the chips forward and see what happens. I mean, we've just, you know, we've, we've whittled it down to two stages of grief here. Uh, <laughs> last week, uh, was it last week? Two weeks ago was anger and this is acceptance. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's, yeah, that's my feeling. Honestly, I thought he accepted this possibility a while ago, but the anger from the previous race suggested not. But now I think he knows. I think he knows that something has to, something has to happen that is totally outside of his control for for him to have a chance at this at this championship and that was probably even already the case before lights out at phillip island that at phillip island just didn't happen so you know it was it's a mental race but it was conventionally mental so and he yeah he couldn't couldn't get much out of it hi producer johnny here interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about roan a clothes brand we think you'd like I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos, and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're gonna be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One sad thing for me today was I've spent the whole year going, oh, I really hope Suzuki can get a victory before they go. They so deserve this. And then it happens on the day when all the attention's elsewhere because the title fight just exploded. So um, let's please you know, say some good things about Suzuki at last next. I've been, I've been chatting a lot of, uh, what's a G-rated <laughs> word? I've been chatting a lot about this current iteration of the Suzuki. And before the race... Simon told me that the Suzuki camp is sounding fairly, sounding fairly confident about its race pace. And I was like, I've heard this before. That's nonsense. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be ninth and 10th. <laughs> Look, I'm still not sure it's a great bike. Uh, just on the, on the evidence of all the other races. I mean, like the race pace has always been sort of there or thereabouts. But I'm, I wasn't sure the tire conservation has really stuck around. Uh, along with this improvement in power, which was so evident today, like Rins was was getting people not just in the corners, he was also taking care of them on the straights. Um, it looked it looked amazing today, and I, I like this. I guess this is the track that it was made for. Like maybe some of the previous iterations were weirdly made for Red Bull Ring or something, and obviously like Silverstone. But this, it's just obviously Alex Rins rode a fantastic race. Hats off to him. But he's 
he's really good. We know he's really good. We know he's a MotoGP race winner. Got plenty of talent for that. I hope somehow at LCR Honda we'll we'll see more of that, and it'll be less sad than this season has been as a whole. But yeah, no, it's the the, the bike deserves a, a lot of credit for its for its performance today. Um, it did all that Quartararo would have wanted his Yamaha to do. It it could pass and it could pass in all sorts of places. Does that again? Does that mean suddenly that I take everything back from the season prior? Nope, absolutely not. That would be that would be not correct. I will not do that. <laughs> so um, the most interesting theory about the Suzuki strength today actually came from Luca Marini. And the more I've thought about it, the more I think he's onto something because I spoke to a few others and asked a few questions about it afterwards. He essentially suggested that Michelin came to all the teams this morning after warm up and were like, look, this is a new tire because uh, the, the compound was a little bit different for Phillip Island. The construction was a little bit different to, to put up with the stresses of Phillip Island. Uh, we're not entirely sure if it's going to comfortably last all race distance. There was never an issue with safety, just an issue with, with sort of tire life. Uh, and as a result, the teams, or a lot of the teams, seem to go a little bit more conservative in their traction control maps. And uh, Marini's theory was essentially that Suzuki have nothing to lose. They took a bit of a gamble. They went with something more aggressive. And the end result was that everyone else actually ended up with too much tyre saved at the end of the race and a bike that wasn't able to go forward in a straight line because the traction control was trying to limit it to prevent it from spinning. Whereas Rins was just riding like crazy and had just the right amount of tyre left at the end of the race to, to make it to the checkered flag. Um, Mark Marquez actually kind of backed up that theory a little bit in a roundabout way because he said that uh, he had taken a gamble on a soft rear tyre. He was the only person to do it kind of with the intention of we'll go for 10 laps at the front and then see what happens. But the pace of the race was a lot slower than three years ago. And that seems to have been because it was Ducati's doing the leading on this quite conservative uh, tyre map. Um, and, and you know, if that's the case, if Suzuki did take a gamble and it paid off, if Suzuki didn't take a gamble but they've only got two bikes in the grid so they just kind of went in a different direction anyway compared to the Ducatis of data and it paid off. Who cares? It's a great result and uh, it's nice to see a few smiling faces in what has been the most depressed pit box of the championship this year from a team who are normally quite happy. Yeah, a really funny story leading into leading into the race is that Suzuki is, of course, testing this this week. Wild. <laughs> at Motegi with Takuya Tsuda. They're trying what Alex Rins described as a completely different fairing. And in Rins's words, it makes no sense, of course, but they've got the money. Why why not spend them? Which is is such a motorsport attitude to money. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> someone um, someone suggested to me that it was a case of uh you you're not gonna get your budget increased for next year unless you spent all of this year's. Ah, uh, the corporate <laughs> world. Amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, you're right that it's, you know, it was sort of a throwback kind of race in that we've seen, I think, ever since Andrea Dovizioso left Ducati, we've seen a lot fewer of those races where he moves to the front and then just holds everybody back, trying desperately to keep his own tire alive and, you know, really slowing the pace. That was like a, a real Dovi special. And I think the Suzuki is actually quite like that because it allowed them to, you know, to play in the pack and also keep their powder dry. And I guess that was kind of that was kind of also the thing today. But there's still I think there's still got to be some sort of track layout specific thing going on because the ease with which Rins was passing people at, at a whole variety of corners and the, the ease with with which he was shrugging off setbacks, like when he went from first to fourth in like two corners, I I was thinking, well, that's that's that done. Nice story while it lasted, but that was done. And he was back back ahead soon enough. Uh, Looked looked the quickest guy throughout. In modern MotoGP, like if this bike stayed and got development, you're still gonna have the problem of the fact that it qualifies like crap, and you're never gonna overcome that on ninety nine percent of tracks. But Phillip Island, magic place. 
And 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 that's kind of what uh, Jorge Martin, sorry, said afterwards as well. Um, he kind of complained that he had actually ended with too much tire, which he, he said is kind of a problem of his. Um, you know that he'd maybe been a bit too conservative early on in controlling the pace. Um, but yeah, it, it takes nothing away from the Suzuki either. This has always been a Suzuki circuit. It's those fast flowing corners, uh, and both. Rins and teammate Juan Mir were very adamant after the race to make the point of our bike is not slow. Um, you know, we, we don't have the horsepower problem that maybe the previous Suzuki had. And I think that helped. Uh, you know, that was maybe the difference in the Yamaha and the Suzuki, which it, it has been in the past, right? It's both bikes go around corners really fast, but one of them's really, really slow in a straight line. Whereas we saw today that the other was able to hold its own in a straight line. And even, I think, Rins even made a, a slipstream pass in a Ducati at one point towards I'm the sort of... I'm fairly sure I saw something like that, yeah. There were, there were way too yeah. many overtakes, but yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, which is not something that you would have predicted the last time we came to Phillip Island. Yeah. With the, the then Ducati and Suzuki, you know, so... It's hard to get a read in that bike, um, but I'm sad it's going away because there is obviously potential. Like if if Yamaha just bought all of the Suzuki IP and then applied a Yamaha level of budget to moving it forward, Fabio Quartararo would definitely be the champion next year. Um, but yeah, mm. such as it is. And I'll, obviously, it probably could have been a one-two or a one-three if Mir got a normal race, but. Uh, Simon, I, I'm not entirely up on the details, but it sounds like that his tire pressure regulator thing died. Uh, no, it's it's so so much more. It's so so much more bizarre than that. Okay. Um, I have heard of it happening before in club racing, but never at this level. Uh, the tire pressure gauge that his tire and fuel guy used to check the pressure of the tires when he filled them in the back of the garage was broken and reading oh. like. 1.5 bar too high so they put uh like three bar of pressure instead of 1.5 bar of pressure into his tires okay so, so because that's what the gauge said was the right number which is yeah <laughs> it's not the sort of thing you think happens at MotoGP, is it this is like like we're, we're probably talking like a 25 euro gauge from halfords right <laughs> <laughs> and you, you do yeah. mention that Suzuki's a bit short of budget, so... <laughs> yeah, that's the problem here. They've gone for the Halford's own brand <laughs> instead of uh, <laughs> instead of splashing out on the Snap-on version. Um, yeah, you know, those things happen um, in, in, a, in a different world. Uh, you know, I'm sure maybe in Formula One, there's a system where there's two guys doing tyre and fuel and everyone checks each other's work, but... You know, it, it's not how it works in MotoGP because we don't have huge budgets and massive teams and it's not anyone's fault because uh, it sounds like the number that was put in was the number that was on the gauge. But after four laps, uh, Mir's tyre pressure was so through the roof that he said the team were actually quite proud of that he was able to finish the race when he got back. That's Crikey. that's how bad it was. In, in 18th place as well. We're, in 18th place. Yeah. How, how was Mir this weekend? Because obviously it's the first time we've seen him actually do a race since since August. And he's had a few full starts with this comeback. How, how was he physically? Physically, he was fine. Because um, he's kind of had the time that he needs to heal up and, and rest. And uh, The explanation that he gave about why he sat out Aragon after initially attempting to ride and then sat out the following two races was that... Uh, so he's one of the few guys in MotoGP that doesn't use a thumb brake. He uses still a rear foot brake. And because he had no mobility in his ankle, he, he couldn't use the rear brake. And, and obviously rear brake is super important in MotoGP nowadays for wheelie control, for turning the bike. Um, so he just couldn't ride the thing. Um, so it's not that he's been kind of in huge amounts of pain on the bike when he tried an Aragon or that he was tiring so quickly or anything like that. He, he just, you know, was like, having a hand cut off almost um just couldn't ride it so seems like that put behind him and honestly i think he was like he started sunday's race looking at a podium yeah and yeah. was pretty gutted afterwards like he he was he was much much unhappier with his race than fabio quadraro was oh wow that that's the you know that's the, the kind of the body language yeah 
Speaking of um, injury returns and the timing of them and all that sort of thing, Mark Marquez. Um, yeah, what what a weekend for Marquez. I keep getting excited about Marquez and the progress of this injury comeback because uh, part of me is the uh, well, basically, there's a bit there's a big part of me that is convinced Mark Marquez is the the best motorsport rider slash driver of this era, and I, I hate the thought of his story ending effectively with the 2020 injury and being you know, not his best after that. It's like his his achievements deserve better than that. So every time he shows hints of being real Marquez again, I get a little bit overexcited. I feel very overexcited today after that ride with tyres that no one else could make work and the way he handled this whole weekend. So, Simon, you can either puncture my excitement now or or, or inflate it further. Oh, no, I think the hype is real. Um, We saw a Mark Marquez turn up this weekend who did crazy Mark Marquez-esque things in practice, saving saves that no one on earth had any business saving and seemed to defy the law of physics. Um, He did that. Then he went out and qualified and put in a good lap. Then he went out the race on a tyre that no one else had decided to use because it was far too risky. And he rode a really excellent race to put in finish while the Honda, well, other Hondas were, were nowhere. So essentially what we're seeing is the old Mark Marquez Honda difference again. You know, he's, he's back to being the thing that Honda were missing to go fast. Um, and that has to be, Really, really, really disheartening for Paulus Bagaro at the minute, but really, like it might save jobs at Honda. It's that good for for them because it looks like they can make some improvements in the bike next year. He can make an awful lot of improvement in his own physical condition, which he he is adamant he still has to do. Um, but you know, if their bike's a little bit better and his fitness level is normal then there's no reason why he doesn't start next season as, as you know a championship contender again. Yeah, I could honestly could even could even probably say championship favorite or at least somewhere there. Yeah. That is I the mean, strength of, of a, a yeah. look. We wouldn't be surprised by that like 3 years ago. Yeah, I know 3 years is a obviously a lifetime, but still still the same guy with that, you know, he's not the same body, but it's that's still that same superhuman level of feel and still that same rider brain and still also that same absolute bastardous aggression that i think a fair few riders felt today like obviously he leaves no quarter and he's yeah he's gonna be a a nuisance out front next year to whoever he's battling for the title uh today i think jorge martin felt it a bit he said you know it was a bit on the limit but also i just grew tired because every time he just shoved me out wide and i lost several positions um but you know that's them's the that's the game them's the rules and it it, it wasn't like the most polite race anyway across the field but obviously mark in particular really elbows out and with not an enormous amount of respect for the championship contexts going on around him whatever etc none of that is a criticism this was excellent weekend again as usual he he took a toe in qualifying followed by nyaya both runs beat him to second on the grid could have had the hole the guy's relentless the problem is also he will maximize what he has next year he will maximize his physical condition he will maximize the bike even if the bike is still not very good and the bike I will remind you all, is still on course to finish last in the manufacturer standings, even despite today, because the Suzuki won. So actually, the gap is even bigger now. It's fun. He's he, you know he he is he is fun, and it, you know it's good for us in the media because he's a big traffic driver. I don't, I don't think I'm opening up any industry secrets here. <laughs> People care about Mark Marquez a fair bit. Um, it's fun. Next year will be fun. Oh, uh, next year. Sorry, I need to. You, you've just uh, while you were saying that, Val, I've just imagined the prospect of Ducati as strong as it is, but with Bastianini and Bagnaia falling out heavily, Quattararo with a more powerful engine, and Mark Marquez at full fitness. That's just like, yeah, let's not talk about this now because it's some months away and we've got a lot of a, amazing race to talk about yet. But oh, yeah, I'll have that. I'll have that. I'll have all the traffic it brings our website. Just, just for context about Mark's year, you know, obviously he missed. A big chunk of the start, well, he missed uh, races at the start of the year when he bashed his head and concussed himself in Indonesia. He missed all of preseason as he was recovering from 
another surgery. And then he's, he rode the first half of the year in constant pain, then sat out most of the middle section and then only just came back uh, after another huge surgery that involved breaking his arm for him another time. And he's on track to not just be top Honda in the championship, but to be double, to score double the second Honda in the championship. He has 105, 104 points in the championship standings now. His teammate, Paulus Bagaro, is second with 54. Like, even in this state of brokenness that he's been for, for you know, essentially the first, uh, well, the first 16 races of this year, um, he's still incredibly strong. And he's only going to get stronger. And the other good thing about the journey that he's been through, and you know, you said, Matt, people care about Marc Marquez. Um, I think people care more about Marc Marquez right now than they ever have. Because you know, I remember coming here a few years ago and 2017 when we had that phenomenal race and then at the end he just stretched out the lead and, and won it kind of quite easily. We went up in the podium and the Australian crowd booed him. And today they loved him. Yeah, I think the hardship that he's been through in the last few years has has kind of forced a transition in people's minds with how they view Mark Marquez and made him a bit more human and a bit more relatable. And uh, he's, you know, if he can come back next year in, in championship winning form with that new kind of more humble persona, perhaps, he's going to be a thing to watch. Honestly, I, I think... I think it was going to happen either way with Marquez. I mean, the injury, I think, accelerated it and did create that sort of turning point of public opinion. But, I mean, it's just, it just appears to be human nature. I mean, F1 loves Sebastian Vettel now. Ten years ago, nah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can I can sort of see the comparison. I, I hadn't thought of just natural aging making people more fond of, of Mark. But I do think, what, what Simon, what you said about the humility with which he's conducting himself these days. You know, I, I always felt certainly compared to Valentino Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo, that Marquez kept his cards relatively close to his chest. You couldn't, he wasn't as easy to read as the people he was racing in the mid-2010s. No. But he's been, he's been so, every interview I see with him these days, he seems even more open about you know, his own failings that led to this situation. He, he very much takes the blame himself for the 2020 decision to come back when he did. And he, you know, he taught, I remember at the start of the season, you did an interview with him where he was talking about being desperate to win one more title. He doesn't really mention the championship so much these days as just, you know, being able to prove he's still worth being here almost. And, they, you know, being able to show to that Honda still got something about it. He's, a lot, he's coming across very aware of what he's been through and what he's still got. And I... I yeah, I mean that that tugs at my heartstrings. <laughs> you know, I, I, Marquez used to be the guy I loved to see get defeated just for a variety of choosing a different picture on on a, on a race report, but now I'm just I'm, I'll be quite enthusiastic when he finally wins a race again, which feels like it'll now be really soon. It won't be in Sepang, but there's every possibility that he'll sign it this season in Valencia with a win. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We've still technically got four riders in championship contention, but um, it, it's, it's, it feels even more of a two-horse race. And certainly, um, Alicia Espagaro was much more pessimistic at the end of Phillip Island about Aprilia's chances of pulling off this miracle. So is it is it game over for, for Aprilia, even more than Yamaha now in the title fight? Yeah. 
I think so. Um, I think they needed a Hail Mary today more than Yamaha did, given that they were already at a huge points deficit and it didn't come. In fact, it went the opposite way, much like it did with Yamaha. Uh, Maverick Vinales in particular today, after the race, was like 2017 Yamaha Maverick. Someone has stolen my puppy, Vinales. Um, just completely distraught with with what he had expected to be a race-winning performance that had turned into nothing. Um, Aleish was a little bit more in control of his emotions, shall we say. Um, but it actually sounds like uh, the issue that they had was exactly the issue that Luca Marini was describing Ducati had, except even more extreme. Um, they were having problems with traction that, that all seem to stem from something in terms of electronics. Um, it's worth remembering that while Ducati have never performed really well at Phillip Island, they have raced at Phillip Island a lot with a lot of different bikes, whereas the current Aprilia is super different from everything else that they've ever used here, and we haven't used it here in three years. Uh, there's only two of them in the grid. They were always going to struggle at the circuits where there's less chance to gather data, Um and I think that that maybe is what we saw today is a, a strategic blunder in terms of electronic strategy from somewhere within the back rooms in Nawale. I think I think we heard we heard Aleish say after the race not only that the Ducati advantage was ridiculous, but that it was you know he heard people earlier in the season say that the Aprilia was now the best bike, and he insists now that was never the case, and that this is evidence. And yeah, you know, recency bias or whatever, but I, I see his point. I don't, I don't think this package is fast enough to win this title because I think the Ducati was always the package fast enough to win this title. And he just, you know, they needed to figure out the most recent spec of it for it to become that. And once they, you know, once they figured out the 2022 bike, I, I don't think the Aprilia had a chance. And it, you know, it doesn't really matter what circuits. Philip Island was supposed to be one of their better ones. Yeah, if he had a more normal race, maybe he'd be up there. But I don't, I I don't see how he'd take too many points out of Peko, and just they're not quite ready. I think that that much has been made clear by this run of races, and that's fine. You know, who who even thought we'd be here? You know, if if we we've told Aprilia and Aleish that they'd be in championship contention with two races left, yeah, with two races left in the season. Before the start of the year, they'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. I mean, they, they'd pay extra for it. And then the good thing is that he kind of admitted that in his debrief afterwards and said that, you know, we still have to remember that, uh, when, you know, you know that he's um, he's making a big point whenever he goes third person. And he was like, you you know, we have to remember that Aleish and Aprilia were not expected to be fighting for the championship with three rounds to go, but here we are. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that is kind of the point that, you know, that it all comes down to. No one expected them to be here. I remember at the start of the year talking on the podcast about like how many rounds do we have to stop talking about the underdog unexpected this has to feel eventually a Prilia charge as they were just racking up points at the front. Um, it turns out there's two rounds to go and it hasn't really faltered because third in the championship is still pretty good. Uh, the person we lost from the mathematical title fight today was was the home hero. So Jack Miller is is definitely not going to be world champion this year, which we knew anyway, but he's, he was still in, in contention points-wise. Um pretty brutal way for that to end but much more importantly for his, his home race to end as well to be honest there was a there was a moment in the race and i think it was like right after fabio went off initially that my brain was like miller is now the second favorite for this title and that's not saying much because <laughs> banyaya has it but because my mind immediately went to like a wet sepang then a weird valencia and something like that it was not outside of the realm of imagination, let's put it that way. But then, of course, the the Alex Marquez mistake ruined that completely. And uh, yeah, it 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 sucks. It, it really really sucks for Jack. It was a it was a pretty crap mistake from from Alex, who clearly realized that right away. Who was you know sort of staying with with Miller, who was in pain in the gravel all throughout the cleanup process i guess and then going again to a spit box to apologize uh miller publicly took it really well i'd be a lot angrier but 
like the, the the acceptance of well it's just a thing that happens that acceptance is that is really impressive to me because maybe not how I would look at it if in my first home race in three years with a what I think at that point was still a fairly legitimate shot at even maybe winning if I were wiped out like that it's a shame it's a, it's a shame because I don't know I he deserved to still be in the t- in the title fight I think his his form recently has been good enough to where he deserved to at least retain still an outside shot and it's 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 kind of a bummer that he doesn't i did the, the home race thing doesn't doesn't do much for me really i've, I've never been one for the rom- romanticism of a home race and all the patriotism and all that i don't really care but uh, jack miller did so that's also important clearly it's it's stung for yeah, him a few people there did yeah i know i know yeah, and he, he said he said an interesting thing after the race. He said that he almost like felt like he'd let the fans down. One or two. Just, that's unfortunate to hear. That's just an unfortunate, understandable, but unfortunate way to look at it. Because I mean, not nothing else he could have done. He was clearly he had nothing to do with that crash. That that was obvious. Uh, so immediately after the crash, we saw that. Uh, Alex Marquez went to the garage and, and was, you know, Jack was kind of magnanimous with them and they shook hands. Uh, then they came to the media center to do their media debriefs. And when they finished, uh, when Jack finished his media debrief, he was just leaving as Alex was arriving. And again, they, they had kind of a, a quiet word together and shook hands and were laughing and joking. Um, you know, Jack was, was super conciliatory whenever he spoke to the media about what happened. And pretty much as soon as it happened, um, I figured that that would be the mood that Jack would be in afterwards because I very much remember a damp Silverstone in 2015 when Cal Crutchlow started the race as probably the pre-race favorite was running in podium contention and his rookie teammate Jack Miller made a do or die lunge from three bikes back and took out both of them. You know, Jack has been on both ends of the spectrum. He's been the guy that wiped out the home hero when he was a, one of the favorites to win his home race, um, as well as, as being the guy that got wiped out today. Um, and he's, you know, I'm sure he was thinking about that as well. He kind of intimated that he'd been on both ends of it before and, and that he knew that Alex hadn't been trying to do anything. He did something stupid, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't like deliberately trying to take Jack out of the race. Um, so they they parted on good terms. You know, it, it was a stupid thing to do, but it was a racing incident at the end of the day. Um, a racing incident with the blame on Alex Marquez, and he's been careful with that with term. Lo- yeah, yeah, it's 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 it's. I should say more. It's this. Let, let's not use the term racing incident. It's the sort of thing that happens in racing. Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, and Alex Marquez was punished for it. And Jack accepted that, and they're they're all happy again. Yeah, long, long lap penalty for Sepang for Alex, which I think Matt, you've seen as a bit of a last corner. Sorry, last corner what? Last corner at Sepang, I think the long lap loop. No, is. no, long lap penalty at Sepang. Yeah, yeah, but I think the long lap loops in the last corner. Oh, is it? Yeah, I oh, think I'd, so. Yeah, you, you know a lot more about that than me. I'm it, not even, maybe, maybe I'm I don't even remember the last corner at Sepang, and I really should because it's, it's it's that the most hairpin. memorable part of the track. Yeah, it is under the UFO. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, Matt. You, I think you thought it wasn't wasn't enough. I I, I was in two. My, my initial thought was, what really? He just plowed into the back room from miles behind and could have taken one of his legs off. It was clumsy as hell and then you pointed out the precedence in MotoGP for a lot of things is normally no penalty whatsoever even if you take them yeah. off the field so I was like okay on those grounds I can see the point and I must say like in general I'm, a, I'm probably a bit too easy going penalty wise I quite often just think oh, you're in a motor race this stuff might happen as long as it's not absolutely it's more I would put intention into it quite often if it looks like it was deliberate then you know, I punish that a lot more harshly. I'm quite pro letting a lot of things go and it just being like racing natural justice in a way. But it's just when you see in other in other forms of motorsport, certain things get grid penalties and that sort of thing, and then you see something like this where it's just like, oh my gosh, that that moment from Mark from Alex Marquez was not a MotoGP standard piece of riding, and long lap penalties. Then I don't know. I, I don't. They're, they're not a non-punishment. But depending on what's happening in the race when you take it and that kind of thing, it's it might be a non-punishment. Yeah. Alonso Lopez uh, served a long lap penalty in today's Moto2 race and it 
wasn't a problem at all because he, you know, he served it from the lead. He returned to the lead and he dominated the race from there. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a problem. Sometimes it's not a problem. And I guess, yeah. you know, that's the case for many types of penalties. It's not just a long lap problem necessarily. But uh, Matt, I'm on the other side of the spectrum in that regard. Uh, for me, honestly, the more draconian the penalties, the better. If I ran a racing series, somebody would be banned from like every other race. Alex Marquez would get a ban for that. Nakagami would get a ban for what he did earlier in the year. I mean, just park him. Make somebody else take their bike. I, my racing series would go bankrupt immediately <laughs> for related <laughs> reasons. But that's that's how I view things. Because I, honestly, Your racing series would have Tetsuya Nak- Nakajima on the grid at every race at this point. It would, yeah. Because he, you know, he'd substitute for every band rider. But sometimes there would be multiple band riders. So what do you do then? Uh... <laughs> Um, I think I think you're I think you're wrong there, Matt. I think Val's racing series would have Iker Lacona on the grid every weekend, <laughs> substituting yes. for a band rider. No involves secret <laughs> fandoms. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm an admirer, but let's let's not let's be real here. Iker would get his fair share of rate of bands in in my series, which again <laughs> would go bankrupt immediately. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you ban someone who's replacing someone that's banned? I. <laughs> Has anyone ever been double banned? I don't know. It would happen. I guarantee you that much. It would, it would happen. <laughs> um, all, all joking aside, um, it's not really something to get into in a post-race podcast. It's something for over winter. Uh, but the MotoGP penalty system is a bit broken. Um, yeah, I would, I would quite like to see a return to something like penalty points. But that's something for... Uh, a later debate because the the current thing the the problem is that um, causing another rider to crash is a long lap penalty, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the seriousness of taking out a championship contender at their home race versus bumping into someone in FP one and having them tip off at twenty kilometers an hour like Alonso Lopez did. Um, there needs to be a bit more flexibility in that. Yeah, I wouldn't add home racing to it that much because then you could like. You'd never get a penalty for taking Brad Binder out because he's never going to be racing in South Africa, so it becomes a lesser offence. <laughs> and the Spaniards, yeah. the Spaniards. <laughs> I do see your point. I don't know. Yeah. And on the subject of how Miller was doing in, in that race, when he was charging forward and he had that little battle with Banyar, I did think, well, actually, he could be on to win this. And then I was like, Miller in a race of tyre pres- preservation. I'm not, I, I can't yeah. see that carrying all the way through to, to the flag, to be honest. Although I, I do think he has been brilliant lately overall. Yeah, it's been good. It's been really good. So it's so it's a, it's a bummer. And his attitude to stuff these days as well. I think back to when he was up against Alex Marquez, ironically for the Moto Three title. M- Miller didn't necessarily come across well back then, and how he was handling incidents and, and controversies. Um, and it's almost like I don't know if taking out Cal at Silverstone in MotoGP and Cal being quite nice about it was the turning point or what. But the the super mature, super humble Miller we've got now, you know, he's. He <laughs> comes across as the nicest, most level-headed rider on the grid these days. He uh, obviously we had a corner named after him this weekend, which a few people were a bit skeptical about because, like the other parts of Phillip Island that are named after people are named after Dune, Stoner, and Gardner, yeah. and you know his four race yeah. wins versus Casey's six in a row at Phillip Island and three World Championship. It doesn't really stack up the same way, but uh, yeah, but he's won more than Remy, so. <laughs> And Remy has a corner. <laughs> uh, technically a straight. <laughs> um, nah, yeah. But uh, yeah. but Jack was you know Jack was brilliant about it. He said I am absolutely like I agree with anyone that might believe I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of it. Um, but I'd like to think that they've done it for the fact that I give my hundred percent and that I am a good salesperson for motorbike racing in Australia. And and you can't argue with that. He is because he's one of those guys who genuinely, if he had no motorbike racing talent. He'd still be wobbling around at the back of like a regional club motocross weekend and on a Sunday just just to be riding a motorbike, you know, somewhere. Um, so yeah, fair play to him. On those grounds, though, I think we should now get part of Mugello renamed after Danilo, Danilo Petrucci because it's exactly the same logic. One hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, I think nobody would would object if it if it came after retirement. It just it's, yeah. it's wild to have Miller be taken out at Miller Corner. <laughs> It's so yes. weird. Yeah. It was almost asking for ironic trouble, wasn't it? Didn't 
Didn't the exact same thing happen to Pedroza? Potentially. But that, like... Didn't he get taken out of Pedroza Corner Perez? at uh, Hareth yeah. as well? That, that rings the Vegas yeah, it seems of to ring a bell. But that was a lifetime ago, man. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's still one more rider left in championship con- contention, albeit a very long shot now, and that is Ennio Bastianini, who had uh, a hell of a Phillip Island race. Oh, it's just... Wow. Again, it's... Uh, I so Bastianini, I think, would have had a lot better title chances if if last year's calendar was more like this year's calendar. But like he's having to experience a lot of tracks for the first time on a MotoGP bike, and that's clearly hindering him over one lap pace. Because on on the repeat tracks, he really seems to have more or less cracked the code. He, I mean, he's been on pole this year, uh, but he's you know still over one lap on those tracks that are new to him. Still not quite there, but. You know, the story of Bastianini's races, we've kind of seen this kind of thing already before this season, but it's still it's still fun to say. So he's you know, in the pack opening lap, uh, nearly crashes out. His airbag goes off. It remains inflated for a bit. He runs like 18th or something, 19th, somewhere there. He he didn't even mention it, but uh, Cal Crutchlow said that Cal Cal apologized for like knocking into him at one point right. in the first few laps. She didn't even register in Bastianini's you know record of the race. Yeah, because you know why, why talk about that when the rest of your race is you making it up to fifth place again? Jorge Martin, poor Jorge Martin, who's had a, a really decent weekend and was on pole with a, a new record lap, again somehow <laughs> ended up behind Bastianini at the finish because. <laughs> <laughs> because Bastianini is the Terminator. You cannot stop him at the end of the race. He will be there. He will, you know, if that race is like five laps longer or whatever, and a Bastianini probably wins it because, yeah. Because that's what he does. So just to just to put this, just to put this in perspective, I'm just looking through the, uh, just looking through the race stats and Bastianini on lap three, which I think is after, after Cal has run into him. Is down in twentieth place and five seconds off twentieth place, but five seconds off the lead, and he ends up not only finishing fifth but half a second from victory. So he is the ultimate Sunday man of this of this motor should be great, yeah. even more so than Brad. Yeah, and completely take out the airbag thing, take out the Cal thing, and that's ba- I'm I'm pretty sure that's a good shot at Bastianini winning from fifteenth on the grid, and like you say, in a race where Martin turned pole into not a lot in the end. Yeah, that that's, that's quite a lot. I think so. I really, I, I also agree with that. And and I just, you know, imagine that kind of thing next year with the mic yeah. of the factory and a factory spec bike behind him. It's really interesting. He can, again, he can win the title. And it's it's bullish. But remember last year when we were doing the top 10, I was like Bastianini's, you know, eighth place in my rankings, I think, or something like that. But he's eighth. That's not so far off first, and he's going to win multiple races next year. <laughs> that prediction came off. I'm still riding that one. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna be bullish again on him because he's not letting me down. He's he's excellent. He like he works for this MotoGP. Something something about it. I also think one of the three of us at some point preseason predicted in writing that Jorge Martin could be champion with Pramac this year. Which um, <laughs> let's not talk about that now. That might have been me actually. Let's definitely not mention that podcast where we predicted next year's rider lineup because we'll never mention that again. Apart from we <laughs> do a postseason feature on how bad that turned out, which I entirely blame Suzuki for. Because yeah, me too. Coming. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap it up for this week, reflecting on our past podcast failures. Go for it, Val. Make another terrible prediction that can haunt us. Oh, I wish. But no, it's just... <laughs> uh, this has been, like, f- despite all my time ODP coverage, uh, just because of timelines and travel and all that sort of thing, I've not I've not worked the Phillip Island shift very much. And it's a, it's a loopy shift when you're in Europe. Like, it's a real weird one. But, I, you know, the part that's going to stick with me from from this shift and from this weekend is booting up like some rock radio on Spotify and putting on the Moto3 race, which if you, <laughs> if, if people thought the MotoGP race was good, Moto3 race with like a rock soundtrack or something, just it's, it's a spiritual experience. It was so pretty. This is what Val was texting me about yeah. during the race. <laughs> I, I, I had like the, the top four breaking away and just like dancing in tandem lap after lap. And obviously... Isan Guevara winning the race and winning the title. Isan Guevara has been 
phenomenal this season. Yeah. I think his championship is almost as good as Pedro Costa's last season. I think he's a real stud. And I think you're going to see him in MotoGP in not too long. But just, you know. Agreed. Boot up some black keys or something. Put on the Moto3 race. You're going you're gonna to enjoy it. It's like a music video. It's amazing. Well, that, that is what you should all do immediately after this podcast in that case. We will talk more about Guevara probably in the off-season and on the race later this week. We'll, there'll be a written piece on him and what his future might look like as well. We've got a lot of written pieces on the race in the next few days about this amazing MotoGP race and all its implications. And we'll be back in just seven days' time with another podcast, maybe celebrating a championship clinched or another massive twist and... Espagaro's back in it after all, and that's that'll be what headlines us next week. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you then. That's that, I think the, the second option is the, <laughs> the more likely one this year. But on on that note, Bastianini leads championship race after Sepang. He can't. Okay, he well, can't. That, that, that would be points. That is impo- yeah. That's not mathematically possible. That only in, in Val's championship of points deductions and race bands. But I, I can for for those of you just listening to this, which is everyone apart from us three, quite how tired Simon and Val look when they're coming out with this nonsense says a lot about, <laughs> about sort of what this GP weekend has it's been. It's been like. a long so, weekend. Yeah, join us on another crazy time zone next week. <laughs> Goodbye. The Athletic. The Race Motor GP Podcast, not sponsored by Spotify or the Black Keys.